This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Small Business Administration and the Defense Department are expanding an arrangement to foster new companies with national security technology. The latest joint effort is called the Small Business Investment Critical Company Technologies Initiative. SBA even has a brand new financial instrument for this. Here with the details, SBA's Associate Administrator, Bailey DeVries. Ms. DeVries, good to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me to join you for this conversation today. Tell us about the Small Business Investment Company Critical Technologies Initiative. That's a lot of mouthful. What is it designed to do? <laughs> yes, yes. So we, we, of course, have an acronym for it. SBICCT. But yes, the underpinning of it is the SBIC program. I'll give a little bit of background on that. The SBIC program was established in 1958 in response to a report published by the Federal Reserve Board acknowledging the important role of small businesses and startups in our country's economic vitality and also a lack of adequate sources of private equity and long-term loan funds to support the creation and growth of such businesses. So over the years, the program has helped to crowd more private investment into small businesses and startups in the U.S., well over $120 billion. Last year alone, the SBIC program contributed to about $8 billion of transaction financing for small businesses and startups. But it truly is a public-private partnership program where the U.S. government licenses and partners with private funds that then work closely with small businesses and startups to help provide them with access to capital and networks and resources to grow and sustain their businesses. So sure. the program currently is over $38 billion of committed public and private capital. Did you say this goes back to 1958? 1958. That's almost yeah. as old as I am, but a lot older than you are, I'm sure. <laughs> Tell us about the new features then that are being launched now with you and Secretary Lloyd Austin. What we are currently doing is partnering with the Department of Defense and their newly established Office of Strategic Capital, which will seek to support bringing more innovation into the DOD and addressing those capital access challenges. And so this initiative is is one of the first priority initiatives for the Office of Strategic Capital in which we will take our longstanding partnership that we have had for many years through the SBIR program and look at ways that we can work together to license private funds that will be focused on investing in technologies that have been identified as critical to U.S. national security. Really excited about that. So it is very directed. And we believe that by having this focus and intentionality around a particular area of the market and seeking to bring our capabilities and authorities together, that we will be able to increase the flow of private capital going to parts of the market where we know that there's constraints and limited capital available. And I wanted to ask you about that new financial instrument that is called accrual debenture, a type of bond, I guess. What is that? Yes. Historically, the SBIC program has pretty much offered what I'll call one financial instrument, which is a 
debenture that requires repayment of interest on a semi-annual basis to the, the SBA. So what is this, right? So a private fund raises money. They go to invest that money in portfolio companies, small businesses. The SBA would provide a, a loan to the fund. And the traditional loan that we would provide has a requirement for semi-annual interest payments. That is great for certain types of investment strategies that might be investing in more mature businesses and businesses that are seeking to use a combination of debt and equity. But what we know is for more of the frontier tech, deep tech, early stage innovation and scale-up investments, that we know will be required in various industry sectors and technology segments that these are long-term investments where semi-annual interest payments might not work. So we are launching a second financial instrument under the SBSC program. That is our intention. It is called the accrual debenture, and that would be available to private funds that are interested in pursuing the SBIC critical technologies license that may have more long-duration investments. So they have to pay back a venture eventually, though, correct? Eventually, yes. So the way it is designed is that the interest would accrue, hence the name accrual debenture, the interest would accrue over the life of the loan to the fund. And our requirement would just be that when there is a liquidity event in the fund, a portfolio company is sold, fully exited or partially exited, and there's a distribution made to the investors in the fund, that a pro rata distribution of interest and principal would be made back to the SBA. And just out of financial curiosity, what would happen if the company found another debenture that they could have your debenture subordinated to, or is that not allowed? That is not permitted. Yes, that's correct. We're speaking with Bailey DeVries. She's Associate Administrator of the Small Business Administration's Office of Investment and Innovation. And these types of companies, I mean, since 1958, there has been the development of an enormous venture capital industry, especially on the West Coast, but really it's national now. How do you identify companies that can't simply go to the private venture markets and get funded that way? You know, it's an excellent question. We would assert that that is not the role of the federal government, the SBA, to be identifying and selecting those companies. And that is why through the SBAC program and with the SBAC Critical Technologies Initiative, we work with private sector partners uh, who have the deep relationships and the skills and knowledge and experience to source and uh, perform due diligence on appropriate investments for these funds. What we do know is that there is a broad market trend within venture capital where there certainly is not a lack of capital for what we might call B2B SaaS companies, companies that have strong recurring revenue profiles are capital light. There's there's money flowing in those areas. But what we do know is that there's not adequate funding going to those investments that require a lot of upfront capital that might be really long duration, where it can be a long time until you are in a position to have strong recurring revenue streams or great customer diversification. But what we also know is that those are some of the common themes and trends that we see in the 
technology areas that are most vital to national security, most vital to climate change mitigation, are most vital to energy needs and the energy transformation and also the transformation of our industrial base in this country. So a lot of common themes and we believe that by partnering with the private sector to effectively deploy capital into these areas and to do so in a structure that has economic incentives for the investors that we can position to increase the flow of capital into these critical areas. Climate and all of these different areas are nice. The military has a lethality and readiness mission that I think still trumps the rest of it. And suppose someone could start a company for which there is very little commercial market, say a heavy-duty drone that is capable of firing a 50-millimeter round. Only maybe law enforcement, but only the military would need a thing like that. I'm just making that up. Would they, such a company, be a good candidate? And how could you ensure that that actually results in that revenue stream from something the Defense Department would want and would buy? That's an excellent question. And you know, again, I, I would go back to you know the overarching principle here is that the role of the SBA is to support catalyzing these public-private partnerships with private funds that then would select the portfolio companies that they would provide capital to that is aligned to the mission of the DOD and work with the Office of Strategic Capital in a number of different ways to support the success of companies that would be vital to our national security. So the role of the SBA in our program office in that equation would be the due diligence, vetting, monitoring, and regulatory oversight of the funds, so those asset management firms, that that way they can effectively partner with the Department of Defense on their mission. It sounds almost as if in this context, the SBA is almost a funding broker more than a original funder of and loaner of money. We provide a loan to the funds. It is a, it is a match on the private capital. Um, that's the way the program has has worked for many, many decades. Many funds often actually think of us more akin to being one of their largest LPs, although we're not a limited partner ourselves. You know, it is it is a loan. But in many ways, you know, we sit in a seat uh, very akin to that of a large institutional limited partner in a private fund. All right. So you're just getting started with this. Anything in the pipeline yet? I mean, the announcement's only a few weeks old. Tremendously exciting. It has been wonderful, the amount of interest that we are hearing from the national security community, from the venture capital community, and also from lower middle market investment community as well around ways that they might be able to support the mission. There's a keen interest from our office and also from the Department of Defense Office of Strategic Capital in hearing feedback and receiving input from industry right now. So that way we are able to set a strong foundation as we go forward with this very exciting partnership. Bailey DeVries is Associate Administrator of the Small Business Administration's Office of Investment and Innovation. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Tom. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in some my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when you'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, 
I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the greatest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, it, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.